Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now proceeding with removal of inhibitor chip. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the second episode of Loki, and we're going to be discussing the latest episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Plus, we're reviewing this past weekend's NXT TakeOver in your house. And it's an extra large edition of Christian's Corner, as I got to cover E3 as press. We're breaking down what happened at E3, and I'm going to count down my top five announcements from the weekend. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first, the upcoming live-action Star Wars Ahsoka series rumored to be casting another Clone Wars character. So according to the Luminarity, the studio is looking to cast the role of Barriss Offee, a Jedi and a peer of Ahsoka who eventually tries to frame her when she betrays the Jedi Order. The casting call is looking for an Asian actress somewhere between her 20s and 30s for a lead role. Many people are also pointing out that this could be a casting call for the character of Sabine, who's also been rumored to be part of the series series. I would love to have Barris part of the show uh, just to see how like the disillusioned Jedi story ends up like playing out. I mean, even though like Ahsoka eventually has her name cleared, what Barris does directly leads to Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. Now, for some reason, I thought Barris does die during Order 66. I don't know if I read that in one of the books or the comics for some reason, but if she is alive, you know, during this time and in prison for that matter, we know one of the temple guards eventually ends up becoming the Grand Inquisitor. Uh, so maybe they somehow manipulate her to join the cause or like, I don't know, did she escape or is this a story of redemption? There's just some really interesting parallels that they could play with between Ahsoka and Barris, because at the end of the day, Ahsoka ends up kind of agreeing with a lot of things Barris was saying about the Republic and the Jedi Order. Um, obviously, not agreeing with her methods, though. 
Well, it all depends on what way they want to take the story. Like, I think it'd be interesting to see, like, it's someone with similar ideas to Ahsoka, but, you know, definitely probably on the dark side at this point in her life. So it'd be interesting to see, like, the, the parallels they have, what kind of, like, you know, discussions they would have and what reason she would even have to meet up with Barris at this point. But um, as you pointed out, yeah, that does sound like it could be a casting for Sabine as well. Um, and which I am excited to see Sabine show up. I do hope that, you know, Sabine shows up in some fashion in this series as well. So I'm perfectly fine with either casting. I'm just excited by the, the fact there might be a cool new uh, Inquisitor on the way, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it is an Inquisitor, though, is it like a rogue Inquisitor? Because at this point, you know, who would she be working for? Mm -hmm. Unless she's just dealing, you know, she's working directly for like the remnants of the Empire. Um, in some shape or form. I don't know. But I agree, like, Sabine makes more sense in the long run, especially if they're doing, like, the whole Hunt for Ezra storyline. Yeah. So. We also have villain casting rumors for Sony's upcoming Craven the Hunter film. So this story also comes from the Illuminati. Uh, they're reporting that Craven's looking to cast an actor in their 30s to portray the Spider-Man villain, the Chameleon. While it's reported that the Chameleon will have a significant role in the film, it is not known if he will be the only antagonist to appear. Now, I know uh, the chameleon is Craven's half-brother. I think his real name is Dimitri. Uh, so it only makes sense for the, you know, villain to appear. I just don't want to see him be, like, the main antagonist for the film. Uh, you know, as a character, the chameleon's never really excited me that much. I know he's, like, the master of disguise, but I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Instead, I would like to see Craven go after a character, or hunt a character, for that matter, uh, like the lizard. Uh, Dr. Connor's story is so complex and sad, and the lizard done right could just be truly terrifying on the screen. But anyway, as of right now, the only other details we know about the film is that it's going to be directed by J.C. Chandor, and it will star Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, the film will be arriving in theaters January 13th, 2023. But hey, if they go with the chameleon, you know, the master of disguise, they could cast Dana Carvey. Shut up. <laughs> that's a horrible idea i'm so glad you're not in charge of anything i know <laughs> jesus christ it's one of his best movies oh god i hate you anyway let's move on so in other spider-man news apparently there was a teaser released in argentina for spider-man no way home uh just something basic with the logo but it's got fans completely freaking out because there's a glitch that's very similar to the one that we got uh in the into the spider-verse film well i'll try not to get my hopes up but i mean that'd be pretty cool if that's a you know little nod to miles possibly showing up in the future or even having just like a small glimpse in Spider-Man, but I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point, like the MCU has just become like sadist, like torturing fans. So <laughs> I'm actually enjoying it, though. So whatever. <laughs> So on that note, we also had a little drama coming out of Sony's uh, Spider-Man spinoff film, Morbius. Uh, during an interview, actor Tyrese Gibson was quoted saying that Morbius takes place in the world crafted by Marvel Studios. This, of course, set the internet on fire, only to have Sony quickly come out and say, pump the brakes, people. That's not the case at all. Although I will remind you, Sony's president came out and said there is a plan to connect these spinoff movies to uh, the MCU's Peter Parker. So, I don't know, maybe they're blowing smoke. Uh, we did see in the trailer to Morbius that Michael Keaton's uh, Vulture does pop up at the very end. So, I don't know, man. 
I mean, we've seen leaks from like, you know, different actors before, but this one seems a little, a little not possible. When this report <laughs> came out right away, I was like, Tyrese has no idea what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> he doesn't know there's a difference between like Sony's Marvel and the MCU. Uh-huh. You know, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Marvel Studios, whatever. You know, some like, you know, smart ass interviewer was trying to get some extra information out of them. And he thought it worked, but I don't know. It made a sexy headline for about like five minutes until like Sony came out and was like, no, 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 no. Relax. Oh, also, I'm still pretty convinced that the vulture scene we're going to get in Morbius is going to be like the after credit scene. And they just threw it in the trailer anyway. It could be. It could be. But it is interesting that they're using that character mm-hmm. who's definitely part of the MCU. So he's kind of like the biggest connection we have so mm-hmm. far between the two, you know, I guess like, I don't know, adjacent universe. So uh, true. I mean, at this point, they could just call it the ultimate universe, right? They could just make it their own thing. They could. They could have Miles be their Spider-Man if they wanted to. I mean, that's what eventually happens in the ultimate comics. So, and just kind of keep it separate like that. But I would much rather see like Miles in the MCU proper. Well, I mean, if we're going towards Secret Wars, it could, I mean, that could still happen. (laughs) That is true. That is true. That's not a bad idea. Well, up next, there's a rumored surprise cameo in the upcoming Flash film. So yes, possible spoilers ahead. It's being reported that the star of the CW's Flash series, Grant Gustin, will be appearing as the Flash, or his version of the Flash, in the Flash film, returning the favor to Ezra Miller, who showed up in the CW series during the Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline. Now, I know this is probably just a glorified cameo, but maybe Grant can teach Ezra's Flash how to run. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, Blackula is getting a reboot from MGM, Brawn, and Hidden Empire. So, yes, Blackula is rising from his grave and coming soon to a theater near you. Variety is reporting that Dion Taylor, the director of the film The Intruder, will be on board to helm the project. Um, Variety goes on to detail that the new film will be a modern reimagining of the 1972 movie directed by William Crane and starring William Marshall. Uh, The reboot will pick up where the original saga left off after the 1973 sequel Scream, Blackula Scream. The film will be set in a metropolitan city uh, post-coronavirus pandemic. For those who don't know, Blackula is an ancient African prince who is cursed by Dracula after he fails to agree to end the slave trade. Blackula is entombed and awakens 200 years later, ready to avenge the death of his ancestors and those responsible for robbing his people of their work, culture, and heritage as they appropriated it for profit. So Christian, this film will always have a soft place in my heart. Um, I saw it when I was about five years old. I think it was on Son of Svengoolie, but I could totally be misremembering. Um, But it scared the living shit out of me. And I really think part of it was because as a young child at that point in the 80s, I'd only been really exposed to like Universal's Dracula and like Grandpa Munster and maybe like Count Chocula. So this was really the first time I ever saw like vampires with fangs. And that's what like made it click in my head. Oh shit, these are like bloodthirsty monsters. So I was totally like traumatized because before that, I think they were just kind of like almost like cartoon characters to me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I am totally in for a Blackula remake. All right, Christian, it's time to talk a little Loki. This past Wednesday, we got the second episode, The Variant. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's Loki ahead. You have been warned. They're the two completely different powers, actually. How? 
Illusion projection involves depicting a detailed image from outside oneself, which is perceptible in the external world. Illusion casting entails recreating an exact facsimile of one's own body in its present circumstance, which acts as a true holographic mirror of its molecular structure. We open this week's episode with a 1980s Ren fair as TVA agents enter the scene. Brazenly, the Minutemen just walk through the fair in hunt of the Loki um, that is causing all these branches, with them actually ending up falling easily into one of Loki's traps inside one of the tents. We see here Loki's signature abilities at work as this version takes out the agents with ease and even taking one hostage before escaping with yet another set of reset charges. Yeah, this version of Loki definitely seems really like formidable like in hand-to-hand -hand combat because they were mm -hmm. definitely able to like take out this group of like TVA agents pretty swiftly. I felt like it was like a level of skill that we haven't seen from like, you know, Loki Prime really. Because mm -hmm. I mean, generally he's not that great of a fight. Well, he's, in, in he's got movies. his moments, but not yeah, like but... this. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, a lot of times he uses his tongue to, like, get him out of trouble, so. Uh, I enjoyed the I Need a Hero song, but I didn't know if it really, f like, fit this scene. <laughs> well, this, like, me. past couple weeks, it's been everywhere. So, I mean, it uh -huh. was, like, wonderfully used in the Masters of the Universe trailer. And then, I guess, Guardians of the Galaxy, the video game trailer, also used it. Yes. Uh -huh. So, yeah, at this point, it feels like old hat, but... I don't know, I still popped for it. We cut over to 2012 Loki inside the TVA, kind of half listening to Miss Minutes um, while reading a magazine. During this, Miss Minutes confirms that if a branching timeline were to pass the red line on their indicators, it would be beyond their ability to reset the timeline, ultimately birthing a new multiverse in the process. This series so far has like found entertaining ways to like deal out like its exposition. Uh, the first episode, it was all about that little like, you know, uh, school rock cartoon. And now we've got Miss yes. Minutes. I'm guessing Miss Minutes will probably pop up here and there throughout the series, but we'll see. After Loki is done antagonizing the sorta alive, sorta digital being that is Miss Minutes, Mobius shows up with a mission and he's bringing Loki along. Before they head out, Mobius and B-15 do a quick rundown of the assignment and in the process show off a ton of variant versions of Loki. Also, Loki is quick to clarify his abilities to the team as he explains his use of duplication magic, not that any of them seem to actually care. I thought it was cute that like Loki was trying to impress them. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and they definitely did not give a shit. No. <laughs> and there's a couple moments throughout this episode like that, too. He's trying hard to, like, gain their, like, favor here. So, and I don't know if that's just more of, you know, Loki being Loki. Um, uh -huh. you know, or if he really wants to impress them. I can't imagine what that, like, Hulk-like Loki <laughs> is like. I want to know, like, what that version of Loki is. That's terrifying. <laughs> I, uh -huh. I don't want anything to do with that version of Loki. I actually thought we were going to see, like, the 2099 version of Loki that we talked about last week. But maybe they're saving that. In order to keep Loki's interest in working on their side, Mobius kind of dangles the concept of Loki earning an audience with the Timekeepers, as they then make their way to the Ren Fair from the start of the show. Yeah, they're definitely both trying to work each other here it's it's constant back and forth uh like this mental game that they're yes, doing yes absolutely upon reaching the tent then which the latest victims now lay in loki asks why not simply go back in time before the event took place mobius explains that you can't enter a nexus event timeline at any part of its existence you can only show up in real time since the event destabilizes time itself 
I know last week I was kind of talking about how, like, the show hasn't been giving me a headache yet with all, like, the timeline mm-hmm. shit. This week, I, I definitely started to feel that headache. <laughs> like, come on. So, I mean, there is a lot of, like, explaining of, like, what works and what doesn't work with the timelines and everything, where it just started going over my head because it just felt like so much information at once. But it's like, you know that's exactly what someone was going to ask immediately no, no. Like at the next convention. was like, why didn't they just go it's, back in time? It's like, well, here. I'm, I would rather have them, like, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's. Don't get me uh-huh. wrong. It really felt like they almost packed a little too much information in this episode, though. Because at this point, like, I'm trying not to think about it too hard because it's just so fucking complicated. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And I, I feel like there's probably holes there if I really examine it. But I just want to sit back and enjoy the show. So I'm hoping this is kind of the last episode where they're, you know, just over explaining things. I have a feeling that's not the case. Inside the tent, B-15, after discovering that one of the Minutemen were taken hostage, quickly sets a charge to go off. But Loki takes this opportunity to try and see what happens if they do not reset the timeline. Loki stalling attempts to convince everyone that his counterpart out here sent this all up as a trap. However, Mobius eventually catches on and B-15 sets off the charge anyway. So Mobius feels much more desperate this episode. Like he's really feeling the heat to catch like this Loki variant. Mm-hmm because he's definitely not taking any shit from Loki Prime here. Um, and you could really tell that he's just like at wit's end. Where last episode, I felt like he was really trying to sell everyone on like, you know, this whole yes. idea of using Loki to catch Loki. But now he, he, I think reality is set in, no pun intended. We return to the TVA to find Mobius being forced to defend working with Loki in Ravana's office. Ravana questions Mobius' ability to keep Loki under control during this investigation. In their conversation, we get an interesting revelation that Mobius has actually never seen the Timekeepers. They seem to only be in communication with Ravana and seem to be pressuring her to get this variant Loki that Mobius is after taken care of. So during this point, I start to question question whether or not these time gods are kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Like, do they even really exist? Uh-huh. And exactly. like, is Mobius suspicious? Because like when like he I, I just got that feeling when he mentions that he's never met them. So I, I don't know. I mean, is there another like power at play here behind the curtain? You think? I definitely. Oh, as soon as she said, like, uh, I mean, as soon as he said that he had never actually seen them, I was like, oh, so they're not there. It's either it's uh-huh. her or it's Kang yes. or there's someone else in play it's here Kang. that we just aren't aware. <laughs> I, I, I want to think that it's Kang, but at the same time, I don't know, like, how big is this Ant-Man film going to be if he's the main villain, you know? Listen, Christian, you need to put some respect on Ant-Man's name because, I mean, that guy <laughs> fucking single-handedly pretty much saved, like, the MCU in Endgame. Fair enough, but they haven't done much with his single films to really make me, like, excited for the next one, you know? Are you trying to tell me an awesome title like Quantumania does nothing for you? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that right now. I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it, it possibly could be. I mean, if if it's Kang and they do him right, I maybe. Maybe this could be the best MCU movie They yet. introduce him here, and then Ant-Man is uh-huh. the one who once again saves the fucking day, you know, and puts things right. Because I think Quantumania comes out after Doctor Strange. I think you're right. Yeah. See? <laughs> mm. There's no way Ant-Man saves a day again like that. That's, <laughs> that's insane. 
It has to be Doctor mm -hmm. Strange, at least at this point. <laughs> Remember the whole Ant-Man ass, like Th Thanos' yes. ass theory that was going on? <laughs> I think they addressed it at some point, but I don't remember what they said. Yeah. <laughs> after this meeting, Loki kind of seems to, you know, try to redeem himself after nearly screwing over Mobius. Mobius, clearly frustrated with Loki, reigns him in with some tough love. Again, the two seem to be in a battle of mental chess as they both continue to one-up each other's manipulation game. Mobius ends this conversation giving Loki a task to go through all the case files so far to see if they actually missed anything along the road. Loki begrudgingly takes a stab at looking through the case files but seems to get nowhere at first. Loki attempts to instead get as much information on the timekeepers and the creation of the TVA that he can only to be stopped by a record keeper. When asked what files Loki can actually look at, um, she simply gives him his own case file where he ends up reading about the events of Ragnarok. Once again, like Tom Hiddleston's performance here is fantastic. Like you could tell like he was, you know, getting emotional reading about the mm -hmm. events and everything. And he's just like hanging on that tear. You know, and his eye about yes. to drop. <laughs> I was like, is that motherfucker going to drop ever? But like it, it like just stayed there just enough to let you know how he was really feeling. It's just such subtle emotions in his no. face. It's crazy. No. He's great. Loki, after looking at the events of Ragnarok, seems to have an epiphany about apocalypses. He approaches Mobius while he's on lunch with a theory that a variant could possibly hide within an apocalypse event and do whatever they'd like, because the apocalypse would actually just wipe away anything that they did and stop the formation of a timeline branch. Now, I love that Loki cracks the case here. Um, the fact that he realized that an apocalypse event is like the one place they can go and operate without like screwing up the timeline and alerting the TVA mm -hmm. since, you know, they aren't causing a variant of any kind um, just, you know, makes perfect sense since everything's getting destroyed anyway. Although you got to wonder, like, if someone like did like see Loki and that caused them to like, you know, run. And we'll talk about Pompeii yeah. a little bit. Like, couldn't that possibly cause like a variant? You would think, but maybe if they don't get out of the radius, if they see, don't survive right, still. This is where I have to pump my brakes and yeah. <laughs> turn off my brain a little because once again, like there's just too many different scenarios where uh -huh. this shit could go wrong. <laughs> While Mobius kind of fights him on all of this, Loki still somehow convinces to test his theory. And we end up cutting away to Pompeii, Italy, right before the, you know, infamous volcano erupts, wiping the city's people out. And even though Mobius is trying to rein in Loki, Loki still prances around the town and, you know, causing as many disturbances that he possibly can that would actually alter the timeline. But due to the apocalyptic event, no variant energy is actually recognized by the TVA scanners. I guess at that point, you can't really outrun the fucking volcano, right? So <laughs> he probably, I guess not. They he were probably knew he was safe. Pretty much, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was actually wondering if they were going to survive that moment because, I mean, the ash is coming in. Mm -hmm. It's coming in real close. I didn't know how, like, fast he can actually open up a portal and get out of oh, there. Oh, gotcha. It's pretty funny if they got stuck by accident. <laughs> well, yeah. And then the whole series would just end, so. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Loki and Mobius now onto something start looking through all natural disasters labeled as apocalypse events. Unable to narrow it down after searching for a while, the two seem to take a break. 
Loki and Mobius at this time talk about what is the reality of the TVA. Loki tries to understand why Mobius believes all what the Timekeepers and the TVA tell him. Loki seems to just question the creation of it all, you know, and how it actually comes to an end. While at this time, Mobius explains that the Timekeepers are still unweaving the end of time. This eventually leads to Loki bringing up the concepts of, you know, duality and how he believes that no one is truly good or truly evil. This conversation then sparks something in Mobius as he remembers what the variant Loki did for a child in the first episode by giving the boy a a pack of gum. I enjoyed this moment a lot. It's probably one of my favorite moments of the whole episode. Um, like Loki, mm -hmm. really Mobius, trying to figure out like not only the true nature of the TVA, but these time gods. Um, but I have a feeling he's also fishing for an angle to manipulate Mobius with eventually. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Mobius's explanation of trying to keep the timelines like chaos free to the end of time and the idea of there not really being free will was interesting and I mean, pretty fucking dark. Uh, but the way mm -hmm. he answered it made me question whether or not he truly believes like what he's saying. Uh, but I could be reading into things. It's unfair that he doesn't get to ride a jet ski, right? man. <laughs> <laughs> not even like once. This, this whole like series needs to end with like, you know, him on a jet ski, I feel like. Like Loki needs to give him that moment. Ah, that would be great. <laughs> Mobius now using the origins of the Kablooey gum has Loki compete with him to find what natural disasters the other Loki could be hiding within now that they can actually narrow it down to when this gum actually existed. Surprisingly, Loki is actually able to find the disaster pretty quickly, which then has Mobius, you know, having to go convince Ravana to send them back out into the field now that they have these new theories and ideas. With Ravana's blessing, B-15 and company squad up with Loki and Mobius to go to Haven Hills in 2050 at a local rocks cart in the middle of a hurricane. B-15, still wary of Loki as she should probably be, um, forces Loki to stay by her side during this mission. Mobius and the Minutemen split up from B-15 and Loki. We then see the evil variant Loki set a timer for 20 minutes, confirming they are actually in the right place. Like, if this is supposed to take place in, like, 2050, why did this store look mm -hmm. like a Radio Shack? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> well, they had, they had some high-tech, like, name tags and kind stuff. Kind of, but, like, the rest of the store, like, all of the, like, um, like stuff on the shelves felt, like, outdated. Uh -huh. Yeah, there was, like, some old teapots and shit. Yeah, it was, it was weird. I mean, but maybe they're just trying to make a comment about us as a society, like, not progressing past, like, 2021. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe it's just evil Roxxon not selling you what I guess. you need, Maybe it was you know? an antique store. I <laughs> Possible. B-15 and Loki come across a man in the store looking very suspicious as he's trying to buy plants during the middle of a hurricane. Upon touching the customer, B-15 is quickly possessed by this other Loki. Meanwhile, in the back of the store, Mobius and the Minutemen find the agent who had been like taken hostage earlier on in the episode. When trying to talk to her, she seems to kind of be muttering like incoherently. We then get a quick cut back to the now possessed B-15 and 2012 Loki. The other Loki continues to move from person to person in the store as 2012 Loki attempts to explain his own plan to overthrow the timekeepers. The the other Loki doesn't seem to care for this plan, however, stating that their own plan is already in motion and it's all too late. Yeah, this variant version of Loki is so not impressed 
with, you know, Loki Prime. Uh-huh. <laughs> Back at Mobius and the hostage, we find out that the other Loki had actually gotten this agent to disclose the location of the timekeepers. Yeah, at this point in the episode, I totally forgot that they took, you know, that agent hostage. I mean, whatever they ended up doing to her, like, must have been pretty terrible because they were a total badass at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So, and here they're, like, trembling with fear. Well, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like having someone just jutted into your mind and then forcing you to kill your own men i mean i wonder if the memories stay with you or not because i couldn't tell uh with b15 getting back up a little bit later if she could remember what happened or not it seemed like it to me but i don't know and i don't know if it's because she knows their plan and the fact that she revealed you know where the time Mm. gods are the truth about the time gods so that might be part of it too. 2012 Loki, while chasing down a possessed clerk, notices all the reset charges set up along the store's aisles. Loki attempts to call out these plans, but is quickly attacked by another possessed person, now under the influence of this other Loki. This large possessed man, you know, proclaims that the only thing Loki has really done is stalled enough time for the plan to, you know, come to fruition. Meanwhile, Mobius actually meets up with a dazed B-15, and they all go looking for Loki. Here is where our new variant Loki unveils herself as the timer set finally hits zero. So yes, we get the big reveal of Lady Loki, uh, something everyone pretty much already knew was, you know, going to happen at some point during this series. Although some people are questioning whether or not this is actually a Loki variant or maybe some version of the character Enchantress, which we haven't seen in the the MCU yet. Um, There's just some evidence out there that's come to light over the past couple weeks uh, that might be pointing in that direction uh but i'm taking it with a grain of salt i guess in spain in the credits they list the character as uh sylvie which is like basically the second version of the enchantress she's younger and has ties to the young avengers also during the conversation with loki in the store uh she seems not to want to be called loki at all um which is kind of strange you know for a character with such a big ego like loki um yes <laughs> so i thought and it's interesting well and it's also interesting that loki constantly is pointing out how unloki like you know she's acting towards him like he's like i would never treat me like this this is i mean i know those are supposed to be co- like comedic jokes mm-hmm. but it also seems to kind of work in this frame like if i look at it as this isn't actually loki I could totally picture like, oh, th- his mannerisms aren't yes. the same in any like light. Yes. Here. And then like her power set seems much more enchantress like, um, like her being able mm. to do like mind control and possess like, you know, victims. Now, Loki's done that before, but that's with one of the infinity stones in his possession. And maybe she has one, but I don't think so. And then there's the fact that they like made sure to like review what Loki's powers were you know, right before Mm -hmm. this. So it just felt like they went out of their way to show the difference between the two power sets to me. And, you know, at the end of the day, she just might be Lady Loki and that's fine too. (laughs) Sometimes I definitely think Marvel like plants these little seeds here and there Uh just as like red herrings to like get people talking. And that might be the case. Well, you know what? I'm not afraid to make this an even crazier assumption. What if it's, what if it's a version of Enchantress that was Loki in the same universe? I mean, that's, I mean, that's what you're messing with when it comes to multiverse (laughs) and timelines and all that. It's too much. (laughs) (laughs) Now my head's going to explode. Um, Uh, (laughs) Enchantress is a cool character and everything, and 
maybe yeah. she's disguising herself as Loki to kind of like throw like the TVA off her scent. Uh, you know, because that, that's the only explanation I could really think of for this kind of like convoluted, like, I don't know, plot twist, especially if she knows that they're going to use a Loki to like track her down. Yeah. But once again, it mm. might just be Lady Loki. All of a sudden, all these reset charges start going off. But not only that, they're getting transported to different times in the sacred timeline, causing tons of branches to begin all at once. We then get a moment with the TVA scrambling to go reset all these new branches, as all these variants are now flying towards the red line. We also get a quick shot of Ravana actually picking up her own gear to go help. Back at Rockscart, Lady Loki walks through a portal with Loki chasing after her. Loki then takes pause before entering one of these portals as Mobius yells out to him but ultimately he follows Lady Loki through the portal before it closes and that's how this week ends. So do you think Loki's actually trying to hunt her down and stop her or do you think he's trying to like force the envelope with a team up? I don't like I don't think he will team up with her like, I don't think that's his goal right now but I think he probably thinks he has a better like he might have a better chance at getting to the timekeepers if he goes and follows so her you right think now. it's kind of the ultimate goal of getting to the timekeepers regardless yes. now that he's free from the tva you know because he mm. could kind of go and do his own thing but now that he has this whole concept of timekeepers and everything that whole exactly. concept of that kind of power existing in the universe is probably like just too much for loki to resist Exactly. Like, I'm going to hold that scene in the first um, episode where he's like, you know, in awe of what true power is, you know, to be his motivation going forward. Cause, I mean, look, that's what Loki wants. He wants to be the all powerful, mm -hmm. you know, being in the end. And that's if that's his true nature, as the timekeepers have said, you know, he probably want to go after that as well. And I think he will hate the concept of not having free will. So, I mean, you know, I think that's just his natural progression is to try and take on the timekeepers even though I'm, you know, at this point convinced that the timekeepers aren't real and it's just, uh, you know, Kang out there, you know, fucking with time. No, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree, but we'll see. So this was definitely the start of the multiverse. I mean, something we know the MCU is going to be dealing with for at least the next couple phases. Uh, I love seeing all the TVA react to all the hundreds of different branches spawning from the timeline. Um, it should be fun to see how they handle, like, the chaos of the situation and what their response is going to be. Because they they definitely don't have enough agents. At least it doesn't seem like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> there were some interesting names that flashed on the screen. Um, a lot of them meant nothing to me, but we saw Asgard, of course, and uh, Vormir, which, I mean, could have huge implications down the line. There's so many different directions they could go. I mean, it, at this point, it's impossible to predict. No, exactly. I mean... With, with WandaVision and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I mean, both those shows, while they had, like, you know, things that are going to have, you know, implications on the rest of the MCU, in, in Loki's second episode, we have pretty much just changed the landscape completely for what the MCU will be going And forward. honestly, like, this last moment, I thought we were going to get in the last episode of the series. <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh -huh, to get exactly. it here in only episode two. 
So I was like, oh, shit, where do we go from here? Like, <laughs> I, I know. Like, I definitely thought that this was going to be a little bit more formulaic. Like, I was expecting, like, oh, okay, him and Mobius are going to go on a mission each episode yes. and, you know, solve, a, you know, a time crime or something. But no, the, I mean, he's already left the TVA. He's already, you know, on a new adventure with yeah. Lady Loki. No, or, I'm with you. I thought this was going to be, like, Law and Order time cops, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's not the case at all, man. They hit the ground running. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, I'm super excited to see where this show goes from here. I, I have no idea what what is in store at this point. And I feel like we've seen everything that we've gotten in the trailers, except for like maybe a handful of scenes. So we mm-hmm. really are in the dark. Yeah, we, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, no, which is classic MCU. <laughs> they always show you like, you know, uh-huh. like the first act, you know, of the movie and the trailers. And then you're just totally like, OK, thrown for a complete loop. No, and, and I feel like these episodes feel more like a long running film compared to the last two well, they're shows. Mu- they're actually like much the longer, two- too. They're like 50 minutes yeah. each. I don't uh-huh. know if the runtime is going to stay <laughs> that long for the next, like, four mm. episodes, but I hope so. So if this is a variant version of Loki causing all this, like, havoc with the time stream, what do you think her end game is? If it's a variant of Loki, you would think it's to rule in some form or fashion, but this just seems destructive. Mm-hmm. You know, this seems like I'm trying to destroy the universe. Now, I mean, if she's working for someone else and we don't know it yet, that's, you know, a different story. She definitely feels a lot more angrier than, you know, Mm -hmm. Loki Prime is, you know, even at his like lowest. Um, So and that's I mean, from very limited and that's from like the very limited amount of time we've actually got to spend with the character. But, you know, she knows her mission and, you know, she's sticking to it no matter what. She's not going to get distracted by anything. So and the way that she's like, you know, was able to take out those TVA agents and everything. This Loki's lived a much different life, it feels like, than, you know, Loki Prime. Uh, I mean, unless she's trying to take the path that like Doctor Doom eventually takes um, in Secret Wars on her own first. I mean, I doubt it, but you're talking about Hickman's Secret Wars. Yeah, Yeah. no, Mm -hmm. like maybe. Maybe. And I feel like, you know, the big rumors that we're going to get a Secret Wars event eventually in one of these Mm. upcoming phases, that's where this is all leading. And I feel like it's definitely going to be Hickman's version of Secret Wars. Yes. You know, not Mm -hmm. what we got with the Beyonder and everything, which we talked about last week. So, But we're definitely headed towards some kind of like timeline war Um, that that feels like inevitable at this point. But once again, Vormir being on that screen. I got a little giddy seeing that because I was like, oh, shit, man. Like that could lead to like the Red Skull possibly, you know, <laughs> escaping. Yeah, and yeah, mm-hmm. and there's so much more <laughs> they could do with that character. So I'll be excited mm-hmm. to see him come back to the MCU like proper. I don't know if I'm ready for a full like return of Hydra, but I mean, you know, having you know, maybe something build up to that would be. Great. I think the I game's going to be much bigger now with the events and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Red yeah. Skull knowing what he knows. Like, I think he'll have major involvement with the Secret War if he if they do choose to bring him back. But all right, join us next week as we cover the third episode of Loki. Halfway point. Halfway. Well, Damon, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. That's right. This week, we're covering episode seven, Battle Scars. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. If you're concerned about the so-called inhibitor chips, don't be. Our deviant nature appears to have impeded their functionality. Except in Crosshair. You're telling me you haven't removed your chips? No, not yet. 
Rex, those chips make you a threat to everyone around you, even her. You're all ticking time bombs. Take it easy, Captain. All right, so I thought this was a real strong episode this week. Uh, we got the revelation of who the cloaked figure was that the Martez sisters were talking to. I'm glad that they didn't drag that out for a long period of time. I mean, literally, that was last episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that was nice. I was like, all right, because I felt like that was going to be a mystery that like lasted a couple episodes at least. But no, nope, mm -hmm. they're like right here up front, like in the first five minutes. Here you go. But yes, uh, we are back at Sid's after a mission that the Bad Batch barely escaped from, only to find out that, you know, Wrecker and Omega might be actually eating the profits on some space Cracker Jacks. <laughs> so it did look delicious, though, so I don't blame them. Uh, but also, uh, we get a cloaked figure watching them in the shadows, who we discover is none other than Captain Rex. Uh, we haven't seen Rex since the amazing series finale of Clone Wars. So everyone from the first episode was kind of speculating that we would eventually see Rex. Um, and I think it might have actually been like confirmed at one point by Filoni. So not a huge surprise, uh, but we did find out that that is who the Martez sisters were talking to. Rex decided to come to see what's up after the Martez sisters told him about their encounter last episode. So after all the pleasantries are out of the way, Rex is alone alarmed when he discovers Rucker is suffering from headaches, which seem to only be getting worse. He goes as far as like, you know, almost drawing his blaster uh, just in fear of the chip malfunctioning. So you can tell he's completely traumatized by, you know, the events of Order 66, which only makes sense. He lets the Batch know how dangerous the chips are and that they need to get them out as soon as possible. Uh, they next go to some scrapper planet, which Christian, I think, has a video game tie-in, I believe. Yeah, it's the planet that Cal starts off in in Jedi Fallen Order. It's it's pretty much the very first thing you do in the game. Okay, okay. So, well, Rex is looking for a ship with a medical bay so he can perform the same uh, mm -hmm. procedure on the Bad Batch that was used to remove his ship. Uh, before they can start, though, Wrecker ends up losing control and he goes after everyone uh, for being traitors to the Empire. Uh, Wrecker is absolutely horrified in this scene. And he really shows like what he's capable of, like almost taking everyone out like single-handedly. Uh, he almost gets to Omega, but he seems to be kind of resisting long enough for Rex to actually like subdue him. Uh, the chase between Omega and Wrecker, and I don't know if you got this, but I got like strong like Avengers vibe, like that scene where Hulk is chasing after Black oh. Widow. <laughs> you know, the scene in the helicarrier? Yeah, I could totally see that. Anyway, they perform the procedure here, and you really get a sense of how close Wrecker and Omega have become as she, like, refuses to leave his side until he wakes mm -hmm. up. He does end up apologizing, saying that he was trying to resist, but he couldn't. Uh, the rest of the batch end up getting the procedure also done. Uh, Rex ends up parting ways with the gang at the end. Rex does seem to want the Bad Batch to come, like, help the cause but Hunter tells him that their priority now is protecting Omega but he does leave it open telling Rex that if he ever needs help that they'll be there um, this definitely sets up like them crossing paths again at some mm -hmm. point so uh, maybe even eventually like joining up with the Alliance I think it, maybe even like at the end of the series I don't know uh, we end the episode with some mask individuals spying on them and making a call to the Empire letting them know they know the location of the Bad Batch dun 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 so after a couple like slower episodes I felt like this was the show kind of getting back on track and it had the same like feel 
as the first like couple episodes the same like kind of like like tempo yeah i agree i mean the pacing almost took me by surprise to be honest i was surprised how much we actually got in this episode when i was expecting kind of that slower pace we'd been getting the last few episodes uh but i'm not you know i'm i was happy what with what we got i think i'm more the, the complaints that come to my mind are more like why hasn't he changed his fucking armor if he's trying to hide out here in society he's just got a robe on top of that <laughs> <laughs> He can hold his own, though, if they do discover him, yeah, I guess. I know. But I, I see what you mean. Like, why wouldn't you, like, get rid of the armor at that point? But. Uh-huh. But it's all to lead up to him in his Endor gear so that we can, you know, finally tie that over. <laughs> I guess. But then you got to get through Rebels first. True. So, because he but does he's, have he's a different gear. Yeah, he's in his different <laughs> gear for Rebels. So True. <laughs> well, also, we do know that he eventually outgrows his armor, you know, physically. If you will, <laughs> <laughs> he, he gets a little thick by the time we get to Rebels. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there is like an episode where he like squeezes back into it or like, oh, no, he squeezes into like some stormtrooper gear, I believe. OK, so, I, f- I forgot about his involvement in Rebels. It, it yeah. happens with age, man. I'm in my uh-huh. 40s. I get it. <laughs> so do you think we're going to eventually get a run in with uh, Commander Cody? I'm not sure. I'm not so sure right now, because, uh, I mean, we just had Rex. I, Because right now, I think the path that they're going to go on is, you know, they're going to be doing more jobs. And then eventually one of those jobs, they're going to discover, you know, some, you know, they're working for some evil force that's going up against this early version of the rebels. And that's how they end up teaming up with them. I could s- I don't know how Cody fits in. You know, I could yet. see them holding off on Cody until the uh, Obi-Wan series. Yes. You know, and then like Obi-Wan has to deal with like a psychopath like version of Cody, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how, you know, this series ends. I could see them saving Cody until the Obi-Wan series um, just because like that the closer relationship. I feel like story wise, that makes the most sense. Yeah. And now whether or not we get a like deprogrammed Cody or, you know, is Cody still underneath like, you know, the power of the Empire? You know, is he still following Order 66? Is he hunting down Obi-Wan? Um, that could be pretty badass. Because I would love to have a moment where maybe Obi-Wan has captured Cody and they have to like he's trying to just convince him out of it because Obi-Wan's not going to know how to deactivate the chip. No, uh, no. So yeah. we know Obi-Wan, like Obi-Wan just cut moment. off his fucking head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a scientist. <laughs> this is his idea of surgery. His lightsaber's his scalpel, goddammit. Sure, David. <laughs> I think I I was expecting them to draw this out a little bit more, though. I thought they were going to at least, if they were to get one of the inhibitor chips done and then maybe get attacked, I thought that would have made sense. I thought Rex would get at least like a two-episode arc. Because it yeah. doesn't feel like he's coming back anytime soon. No, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe in the finale or, you know, maybe next season, if there is a next season, because they haven't even announced that. Like, I don't know what mm-hmm. the plan is. I don't know if this is like a you know micro series or what, but it feels like it's going to lead to at least a couple seasons. I'm hoping at least. Yeah, because I don't think their story is going to wrap up that like easily in this season. No, I mean, we're almost at the halfway point, but I feel like there's so much more meat on the bone. Um, mm-hmm. This could go at least a handful of seasons, honestly. 
Special thanks to this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliant. That's right, listeners. If you're like me, a chronic teeth grinder, but haven't checked out SmileBrilliant.com, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, I recently received my Smile Brilliant Night Guard, and it's already helping me get a better night's sleep. It's one of the best gifts my wife has ever gotten me. And when it comes to teeth grinding, come to find out I'm not alone. In fact, there's roughly 40 million other Americans who grind their teeth as well. Whether it's from stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to things like worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. Exactly, Damon. And the number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is a custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard. And you can grind through several per year. But that's where Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process comes in. You can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. My wife also got me the Smile Brilliant custom fitted teeth whitening trays and their Kari Pro electric toothbrush. And Christian, they work wonders. Well, our listeners should head over to smilebrilliant.com and use our promo code NERD at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com. Dot com and use our code NERD at checkout. That's right, nerds. Don't be an idiot. Smile brilliant. All right, boys and girls, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. Welcome all to Christian's Corner. As we said at the top of the show, I'm breaking down what I saw at E3 this year, plus giving you my top five announcements from the event. After what was a rough year for everyone, including the entertainment industry, we saw the return of E3. Widely regarded as the gaming world's mecca, this is the event where we usually get glimpses of what's coming next. However, this year had a strong focus on the present instead of the future of gaming. Most, if not all, the press conferences showcased a lot of what we've already seen. And honestly, that mostly has to do with not many companies being ready to show off the future of gaming just yet. After all, they were hit just as hard as everyone else when it came to the pandemic. So, I mean, seriously, no matter what, this year was going to be a tough sell for the public, as people really hold E3 to, you know, probably too high of a standard. And while I disagree with the rhetoric of this being the worst E3, I do believe it still was on kind of the more disappointing side. But let's dive in and break it down a little further. Everything kicked off on Saturday with most people's eyes on Ubisoft and their UB Forward presentation. My general reaction to this conference was I felt like it was, you know, kind of lackluster, but I guess really that was before I saw what some of the other companies were doing with their conferences. Now, after sitting through, you know, all the hours of E3, I can say while UB Forward didn't do much for me, it felt more on par for what we would normally see from an E3 presser. We got looks into several games like Rainbow Six Siege and Extraction, along with Ubisoft's music games like Rocksmith and Just Dance, and some uh, some interesting DLC for Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed. You know, all pretty on par for the course when it comes to Ubisoft. Rainbow Six Siege in itself still interests me as a game, but it's never really gotten to the point where it got me to actually buy the game. The big star obviously for you before it was Far Cry 6, but nothing at this press conference in general left me, you know, wowed. It was all kind of what we are used to from Ubisoft. Good, but not great games. But hey, it at least showed off some gameplay. Because, you know, the second event I checked out that day was actually, you know, for Gearbox, the studio behind games like Borderlands. But to save you all some time here, uh, this turned out to really be a 30 minute ad for Borderlands film and a small glimpse of Godfall. That's it. 
But at least the next event made up for Gearbox's lack of games as we got Xbox's press conference on day two. Microsoft and their empire of entertainment, now with the ownership over like Bethesda, rocked the E3 floor with more games and announcements than you probably were prepared for. Ever since, you know, their kind of poorly structured E3 showcases back when they were first showing off the Xbox One, Microsoft has kind of changed their way and focused on what everyone comes to the dance for, the games. And as the expression goes, you know, gameplay is king at E3. Bethesda's involvement now with Xbox has been a game changer for not only the console side of Xbox, but for Microsoft's bigger project, which is Xbox Game Pass. Around 30 more games were announced to be heading to the titular service. Some of the big games shown off here were, you know, Forza Horizon 5, Stalker 2, Flight Simulator, Replaced, Psychonauts 2, Doom Eternal's next generation upgrade, along with, you know, Dishonored creators Arcane Studios giving us a CG trailer for their next game, Red fall, Bethesda gave us a teaser for Starfield finally, and the big daddy of them all, Halo Infinite showcased its free-to-play multiplayer. That's right, I said free-to-play multiplayer. Without even needing to talk about the next conferences, you should already know Xbox was the clear winner as far as being the most impressive showcase goes. I think it really just shows how invested Microsoft is in its gaming division and how it recognizes what potential Xbox Game Pass, as it you know really has only scratched the surface of what kind of profits it could be bringing in for Microsoft. But after the giant of E3, which is Xbox, was finished, another company that really had to earn some goodwill from the players showed off a new title that could be the game changer they need over at Square Enix. Last year, Square Enix released an Avengers video game that honestly shit the bed. Um, what was supposed to be a major hit for Square Enix came in at a major loss. And even though they're still pushing it, most players will agree the game is fucking dead. Hey, what if I told you Square Enix has another Marvel title in the works to launch this year? Starting off this press conference, Square Enix showed off Guardians of the Galaxy, a single player game where you play as Peter Quill aka Star-Lord and guide the team with your choices. It was like a ray of sunshine had parted the clouds, at least for me, when it came to Square Enix and it looked fucking great. Unlike the models we got in Avengers, Guardians feels like this like kind of perfect blend of the comics and films put together and seems to actually be following in Marvel's Spider-Man shoes as being a standalone single player experience. I absolutely popped for this, but at the same time I had to rein myself back in because this is still the same people that brought us Avengers. And that game really hurt my faith with this company. Square Enix also showed off more of the, you know, Life is Strange remastered and True Colors, along with The Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, aka The Chaos Killer. All in all, left day two happy having gotten, you know, what felt like a more, you know, real or normal uh, day of E3. But hey, you can throw all my positivity out the door as day three's big star was Capcom. Capcom honestly only had one thing to announce, and that was its, you know, Monster Hunter news, with a Monster Hunter experience more geared towards the Switch. Um, we got looks at Ace Attorney as well, and a couple new gameplay mechanics that are new to the franchise. But beyond that, we were left with a, a nod toward DLC for Resident Evil, which, if you ask me, will most likely be of Lady D, um, let's be honest. <laughs> 
And then we got a whole lot of esports for Street Fighter. Um, while I wasn't annoyed while watching it, I was definitely left disappointed and confused as it just didn't feel like it fit the parameters of an E3 press conference. This just felt like three trailers that they could have either put out on their own or had just put on Nintendo or Xbox's showcases and really just have been done with it. But I digress. Moving on to the fourth and final day, many E3 fans were hoping for a big save from Nintendo and Bandai Namco. Nintendo, however, did surprise me, um, even after prefacing that, you know, Know, they didn't have much to show off before this Nintendo Direct aired, it still gave what I feel is the majority of what people wanted to see at this conference anyway. And no, it's not Bayonetta 3. We got a glimpse at Zelda The Breath of the Wild 2 and got a sequel to the Metroid games in Metroid Dread. This was our first look in a long time of a side-scrolling Metroid game. And also one of my favorite characters in fighting games, Kazuya um, from Tekken, is making his way over to Smash. Awesome. But let's be real here. Nintendo has already been showing off a lot over this year. Um, I mean, they've had several Nintendo Directs already, so there really wasn't any surprise to me when they didn't have too much to show off here at E3. But they were wise here by not showing off the you know, Breath of the Wild 2 footage until they got to E3, as I can imagine the internet just giving them nothing but shit for not showing off anything of Zelda. But we still wait for games like you know Metroid Prime, and uh, a lot of people are still expecting some news on Bayonetta 3 as I said earlier but with even as little as they had to show I still would give Nintendo second place as far as showcases go after that, all that was left was Bandai Namco, which had recently gotten a ton of buzz due to their trailer for Elden Ring. So to most people's dismay, when Bandai clarified that the press conference was only going to showcase their upcoming horror game, House of Ashes, you can imagine how distraught that chat was. But it is, you know, good to note that most of Bandai's games have been showcased on other, you know, press conferences. Like Xbox actually had a second press conference at a later date that showed off um, Scarlet Nexus. But at the end of the day, I saw no reason for this to be an actual, like, live event for them. What they showed off of House of Ashes wasn't all that impressive, especially since it just looks like more of the same that we've seen from games like Until Dawn. And while that's cool and all, um, it still was just a behind the scenes type of trailer that they could have easily just dropped on YouTube themselves. But with my four days kind of summed up here, um, let's talk about my top five announcements of E3 this year. Starting at number five, another game that was announced at the Xbox press conference was Outer Worlds 2. The trailer pretty much mocked you know the average e3 trailer um it was meta as fuck and fun and i think this is going to be probably one of my favorite games once it comes out as the first outer worlds was actually one of my game of the years i thought the team behind it over obsidian really just kind of get the genre that they were going for and it really just nailed everything that it was trying to accomplish now i'm hoping that we get to a scale that'll be much larger with the sequel like i want more from it i don't know if i'll get that but I do want a whole lot more from the game. I feel like we've we've got a good base here. Let's grow as much as we can. <laughs> but hey, maybe that just sounds like Starfield, which is actually my number four pick. If the gameplay from Starfield is anything like, you know, the in-engine trailer that they showed off, I think there is a lot to be excited for. Um, in interviews, the dev team has, you know, been quoted as saying, you know, this is going to be Skyrim in space, and also it's a Han Solo simulator, which is absolutely a type of game I have been looking for. You know, I thought I was going to get that with, um, you know, No Man's Sky. I thought I was going to get a little bit more exp exploration when it came to Outer Worlds, and even a game like Mass Effect doesn't 
necessarily hit that itch of what I would expect from a like Skyrim in space. So hopefully Bethesda can really deliver on this title. This game is scheduled for a November 11th release in 2022. Um, number three was actually a game that took me by surprise as it was not my like, you know, my usual wheelhouse when it comes to games. I don't, you know, tend to play side scrollers that much, but the game replaced looks absolutely incredible. What they were able to do with you know, playing with the foreground and background and how they created this world with so much depth really just kind of sucked me in. And hey, I'm kind of a sucker for the cyberpunk aesthetic. It just seemed like something I could easily fall in love with and like, you know, really get sucked into as I play it. So I definitely want to check this out when it comes out. Um, it is still scheduled for sometime in 2022. No official date just yet. My number two is a game I've already kind of gushed over earlier, and that being Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Square Enix, you know, heard what the players had to say about Avengers and kind of struck gold with their development of this game. Single player games aren't on the outs. I, I, I will say this again and again. Single player games are worth investing in because if a multi-platform studio like Square Enix can pump out a great one on par with games like Marvel Spider-Man, then fucking sky's the limit. You know, you know, Spider-Man was cut off by, you know, just only being a PlayStation experience. Imagine if that was available on PC, on Xbox, wherever you want to play, you know, it would have made even like three times probably the amount of money because that was such a fucking great game. And that's why Avengers was supposed to be such a big game because it's it was a multi-platform Avengers experience, but they just didn't get the right feel and they made a very boring experience there. So while I am a little wary of Square Enix working on Marvel games, the way that this looked, the way that you get choice and everything like that, I thought this, you know, this is exactly what I want out of this type of, you know, Marvel experience. And honestly, if they're looking for more ways to even make money off of it, you know, the game focuses around Peter. So I imagine they could really just, you know, make DLC of each and every single Guardians character so that you're able to play as them, which just sounds like the obvious route to go. Guardians of the Galaxy comes out this year, this year. October 26th. Number one on this list um, has to be the Halo multiplayer announcement. Um, now I did state on the stream, it being free to play makes me worried about, about how heavy they might use microtransactions. Um, you know, I don't feel like 343 would be too crazy on it, but you never know. With everything going towards games as a service and stuff like that, um, anytime I hear free to play, I get, you know, just a, a tinge worried on how the experience is going to be. But at the same time, I see how this is kind of the right move. If the only way to play this game is over, you know, like Xbox Live, then you have people either signing up for Games Pass or Xbox Live. So it just seems like the right move for them as they're continuing to build this, you know, Game Pass, you know, system that they've got going on here. And honestly, you know, the trailer itself had me smiling ear to ear. You know, Halo was a big part of my childhood, and I can honestly say I can't wait to hop back in with friends and most likely die over and over. You know, the trailer showed off cool updates to skins and, you know, the return of the multiplayer voice. I couldn't, you know, have been happier with the entirety of the Xbox E3 press conference, and Halo's multiplayer has definitely skyrocketed to the top of my gaming list. Recently, Halo had been, you know, delayed. It is still looking to have a release sometime during the holiday season this year. 
But hey, if you're interested in seeing me play any of the games I just talked about from E3 or any games at all, all you gotta do is follow me on Twitch to stay up to date with all our gaming content. And hey, if you wanna support me even further, you can subscribe to me on Twitch, which helps actually grow the channel and allows me to do more things on the actual channel. So definitely if you're interested and you have an Amazon Prime account, you could subscribe to me for free today. Right now we have a couple shows going on on the actual Twitch channel every Thursday through Sunday. We go live at 12 noon central time. You know, currently I'm playing Witcher 3 and Mass Effect each weekend, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And then on Thursday I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima, which is kind of like a replay series I'm doing. This is the second time I've played the game. And on Friday, I've actually started a wrestling show where I've put together my own show and I'm actually putting actual like production into it i'm editing videos and doing all this crazy shit for it so definitely check out the streaming side of the amazing nerd show every thursday through sunday at 12 noon central time we got a lot of things going on over there. and i appreciate all the fans that do actually check out the actual show but hey you know enough talking about video games enough talking about my wrestling show let's talk some real wrestling with what happened this week in wrestling there's some conditions number one you cannot be a competitor Number two, you cannot lay a hand on anyone. Unless provoked. Mr. Regal, I accept your offer. All right, Christian, this past weekend, we got NXT in your house. Uh, overall, what did you think of the pay-per-view? I feel like this is the first time in a while where I feel like I don't know the storylines at all. Like, even with, like, what they were presenting <laughs> at the actual pay-per-view, it just felt like a lot of randomness that I wasn't prepared for. Uh, the show definitely felt kind of rushed <laughs> and put together. Yes. Like it snuck up on them, even though I'm sure it's been on the schedule for months. <laughs> um, it felt like they're booking more towards the uh, Finn Balor, Karrion Cross match from a couple mm -hmm. weeks back. And this was kind of like an afterthought to me. Um, I did go back and watch like, cause I haven't been regularly watching NXT, unfortunately, just because I don't know, the brand just feels so, almost cold at this point um mm. but i don't know like i enjoyed what i saw from the episode before this so i was definitely interested to see where they're gonna go with this show um but in the long run i felt like it was kind of a below average you know takeover and i think part of that once again like i said i feel like the brand's a little cold right now and also there's just too many takeovers like, I miss the days in the past where, you know, you would have a handful a year and they kind of felt special. And there was like this huge mm -hmm. build towards like all the matches and everything. Now it's just kind of like a run of the mill, you know, pay-per-view show. No, I agree. I feel like I enjoyed most of the matches, but none of them were like over the top exciting or anything like that, that where I'm going to remember this by next year. Or even buy like our countdown at the end of the year of matches. No, so. I agree. I agree. So, all right. Well, let's get into it. What was the first match? We both missed the uh, pre-show. So, yeah, we'll, we'll skip that. Well, who was who was the pre-show though? <laughs> it was Soraya and Zoe Stark um, defeating the Robert Stone brand. You know, Aaliyah and Jesse. Kalea. I didn't even realize Robert Stone was still part of the brand. Honestly. So, yeah, I thought he got ran over by the tank and just gone. You know, I think that's that the last time I saw him, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, starting off with the card, we had a winner-takes-all six-man tag team match where Bronson Reed and MSK ended up retaining their titles against Legato Del Fantasma. Uh, I hate the stipulation of winner-takes-all. I think that's ridiculous. I'm glad that the champs ended up, you know, getting the victory so we just didn't have, like, people losing titles when someone else gets pinned. I I just—I always hate that. When that's a stipulation in a match, that's ridiculous. Mm. Um, overall, I thought this was a well-worked match. Everyone clicked together. Um, I like Bron- Bronson Reed as, you know, the North American champion at this point. I'm, I'm glad that they're actually pushing him. Um, for a big guy, man, that guy can fucking work. So um, I, I hope that he gets more spotlight, honestly. And MSK has such a bright future as long as they don't fuck him up too much. Because <laughs> not only can they perform tons of like spectacular moves, but they actually tell pretty good stories in the ring. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're great at selling. So uh, they've got lots of potential. So, And I haven't been watching the project as much as I should be, as I just said. But um, I felt like Del Fantasma was showing more like personality out there. So they definitely were more characters this match yes. compared to the last few um, times we've seen them, and especially on um, takeovers. And, I, and for me, I could have done with a little less haha when it came to them versus Bronson Reed, you know, them all like, you know, just bouncing right off of them. But <laughs> I like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it because there's such a big size difference and everything. I've enjoyed uh-huh. it when he did his like, you know, finish the top you know rope splash and uh msk actually like popped in the ring you know selling it <laughs> yes <laughs> i thought that was fantastic and well done so uh but this was an entertaining match i thought it was the perfect amount of time and everything and a good like over. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think msk is was looking better and better each takeover so i'm i'm happy with no them. I'm, i enjoy them so i'm mm-hmm. glad that they have the belts right now i think they're the right group to put the belts on because they're young and exciting so well up next we had Zia Lee with Boa and Mei Ying um, defeating Mercedes Martinez in a singles match so I don't I don't understand the booking of this match at all like it was okay I like how hard hitting it was mm-hmm. but like to have Zia Lee win and then end up getting beat down at the end it was like typical yeah. fucking like WWE 50-50 <laughs> booking and then it seems like they're really just leading to Mercedes versus Maya Ying or Mia Ying. You know, the, this woman who's supposed to be like 600 years old or something. <laughs> I don't need any more fucking like WWE voodoo shit, man. Like I'm just uh-huh. over <laughs> WWE and the supernatural at this point with everything that's happening on the main roster. Um, I thought like NXT was my safe place, but apparently not so. <laughs> I know like this this whole storyline's been going on for God, it feels like forever. Um, but I just I was hoping that it would just kind of like peter off. But now we're gonna. It feels like we're gonna see Ying like actually in the ring. And if you're gonna have Mercedes versus Ying, then why not just have Mercedes beat Zia Lee? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of this yeah. weird fifty fifty bullshit. I don't know. No, I agree, because that was like the first thing I said when I started to see Mercedes just beating her. I was like, well, who does this benefit? Like, who, what, what, where does this like go for 
um, Zia Lee at this point because she looks weak now that she's just been beaten up by Mercedes. But at the, yeah, I, you know, I haven't been watching the NXT product, so this was my first time, you know, experiencing uh, Mei Ying. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, who is who's the Shao Kahn character uh, at the top of the ring trying to be like oh, Mortal Kombat? Oh, it's total fuck. Even the whole fucking, you know, <laughs> entrance and everything, like, uh-huh. it's so Mortal Kombat, which is fine. I'm cool with, but it's a little too overproduced with the whole, like, sword demonstration and everything. Mm-hmm. I know that's been Zaylee's thing, but I don't know. They need to tone that down a little. Uh, but yeah, no. This whole I don't know. Do you think you're gonna eventually get like a tag team with like Alexa Bliss and fucking uh Mei Ying? <laughs> no, I I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think uh Vince will put that together. He- Maybe they'll just both set each other on fire and go away. <laughs> I don't think uh, WWE can handle this many supernatural characters at once ever again. Yeah, I don't know. You know man. We're not gonna get like get a new ministry, right? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ! And this, I mean, like I said, WWE's loved their supernatural like throughout the decades, but I feel mm. like right now, just because of you know the Thunderdome and not having a live audience, like they're getting worse and worse, and just like tapping into like their like the, their baddest habits. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, Vince loves to make movies. So, but yeah, no, this match just wasn't for me. And I'm not really interested in a Mia. Or was it Mai Ying? Mi Ying? It's Mai Mi, Ying. Whatever. Mercedes. Or May. Is May it Mai Ying? I don't, whatever. <laughs> I think it's May. Mai Ying. Mercedes Martinez, like, feud. I, I don't, I, I don't really need that in my life. So. But what you need more in your life is some more Cameron Grimes. Am I right? How over is Cameron Grimes? Apparently he is, you know, over the so moon. He might he might be the most <laughs> over guy in NXT right now. Which is crazy to I me. I love it. I, I <laughs> I'm on board. We man. had we had a ladder match for the million dollar championship uh, between LA Knight and Cameron Grimes, with LA Knight climbing the um climbing the ladder and securing the title. Yes. Um I thought this was an okay ladder match. Uh it was more about, like, the guy's personalities than, like, necessarily the mm. moves. They didn't really, like, I don't know, reinvent the wheel here. But it was a fun enough match to keep my interest. I just wish it was maybe, like, five minutes shorter. It did go a little long. Um, but, yeah, no, I-, I was happy to see LA Knight get the title because I felt like the story really is with, like, Cameron Grimes chasing him. Because once Grimes gets the title, I feel like that whole storyline is over. And we'll talk more about that, you know, when we, you know, talk about this week's episode of NXT. So, but yeah, I, I think I would be complaining if it happened any other way, if Cameron Grimes had won this match, because I feel like, you know, the heel title should be picked up by a heel yes. straight up. And then you have Cameron Grimes chase. After yeah, it. the baby face doesn't need the million dollar title. It makes no, no. sense. <laughs> so it's not a real belt anyway. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, cubic zirconium, right? Like, those oh, are real yeah, diamonds. no, absolutely. It's still fucking expensive <laughs> as all hell, but no, it's not actually uh-huh. a million dollar belt. <laughs> it's showbiz. All right. Well, up next we had Raquel Gonzalez holding on to the NXT Women's Championship against Ember Moon. So honestly, I felt Gonzalez felt a little green here. Like, I, I this is probably hmm. like the worst of her recent showings because she's been impressing me a lot lately. But I. Th- Felt like Ember was kind of carrying her during this match. And I'm not sure if Gonzalez is used to working this long of a match. I mean, it was only 12 minutes, though. But, like, in a one-on-one capacity, um, I'd have to, like, look at her, like, past matches to see how long she usually goes. 
mm-hmm. but it just felt like they weren't necessarily like grooving well together. Well, I mean, like when you look at Gonzalez versus um, Ripley, I mean, you're not dealing with someone who's constantly doing these high flying stunts against yes. her. So it, it works a little bit better. Um, Ember Moon having to constantly, you know, jump and pretty much catch herself uh-huh. in a lot of these moves. Uh, you know, it was a little that telling that Gonzalez wasn't prepared. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love Ember Moon. I think she's ultra talented. It just feels like they're always kind of like hot and cold with her. Like, even, like, the build-up for this match, and like I said, I just mm-hmm. watched, like, you know, a couple packages and, you know, the last episode of NXT. But it felt like the build-up was pretty weak for this match, and there was never a point where I really felt like she was going to walk away with the belt. No, I honestly feel like they book her kind of like a support legend at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, she's just there to put over your new talent. Yeah. In general. No, I agree. She's a name. And that's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Like, they're never going to 100% get behind her, which is too bad. But, yeah, I mean, even the way they brought her back was kind of lackluster, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the tag team with Shotzi and Ember, but I don't imagine it, you know, going much further than, you know, this year in general. Yeah, because I think Shotzi's going to eventually be kind of like a breakout star. And I could see her moving up to the main roster sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, no, it's too bad because, like I said, I think Ember Moon, if she's pushed right, she could be a huge star for like the company, not just on NXT, but like on the main roster. So I, I just don't get it. Well, last but not least, we had Karrion Cross kicking everyone's ass for 26 minutes in a fatal five-way match for the NXT Championship. <laughs> so basically, the setup for this match was Karrion Cross felt like he could just take everyone on. Uh-huh. Like I think he says, "I want your like Mount Rushmore." of nxt and then he does so i was like well where does that lead everyone here you know who's gonna be like the contender for this title like he's already beat fucking know. finn balor mm-hmm. so i mean is cameron grimes gonna eventually like, <laughs> be the next challenger for carrying cross i just feel like he's a roll not up. like long for this <laughs> roster at all mm-hmm. i feel like he's just kind of in this like holding pattern until vince decides to call him up like, I feel like he'll be up on the main roster by Royal Rumble. I mean, I don't know what happened after this, but do you think, you know, it's a build up to Demon, you know, Finn Balor to return at some point to go up against Maybe. Karrion? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, honestly, when I first saw the stipulation for this match that it was like a fucking five way, I was like, OK, uh-huh. well, maybe this is where he you know ends up dropping the title because he's kind of protected. You know, if you lose the title by not getting pins in a five way it doesn't really hurt him. I mean, it hurts us as an audience because that's a shitty way to lose your fucking belt. But, you know, it doesn't hurt him, I guess, in like the WWE's eyes. So and that way he could eventually, you know, transition to the main roster. We know that there's going to be a draft coming up in the next like month or so. So I think mm-hmm. it's going to be right after SummerSlam this year. So, um, okay. but that didn't happen you know this match was really used to like show how dominant cross was because it felt like the only time that like he ever went on the defense is when he was getting teamed up on you know and the guys would have to all like throw him out of the ring and then we actually got some kind of match you know otherwise it was like cross playing like king of the hill and just like taking everyone out (laughs) like in the middle of the ring 
Well, surprisingly enough, the only person that really seemed to actually, you know, have any type of defense against him was Pete Dunne, which I was surprised to see them push him that hard in this match. Like, when because the, there's a spot near the end where he just challenges Kyrian to get into the ring, and he actually holds up for, like, a like a few seconds there compared <laughs> to the rest of the match. Um, is Pete Dunne getting taller? Uh, he seems like it, right? <laughs> he looks a little tall for uh, what I remember. I think he's wearing lifts, man. Yeah, because really? <laughs> I definitely I mean, not that anyone in this match is really tall except for Karrion Cross, And even he's probably like six one six two, And I have to look that up. But um, but Dunn looked like the same size as everyone else, uh, which I know he's definitely not as tall as Kyle O'Reilly. Like he should have been looking eye to eye with Gargano, right? Yes. At least. Yes. So I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. <laughs> Maybe he's been drinking his milk. I don't know. But yeah, he definitely felt taller than usual. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, he's fantastic. I would love to see him get a title reign eventually because mm-hmm. I just love everything he does in the ring. I don't know if that will ever happen, but my God, I mean, he's a worker's worker. So but yeah, I mean, for the most part, though, I still found this match like entertaining. I did like the layout of the match. It just, I don't know, it felt like it hurt the rest of the roster, though, by having Cross go over so strong. So I was like, oh, this dude's going to be feuding with Drew McIntyre in like six months. Like, that's <laughs> that's all I kept on thinking was like, oh, they're building him up. Like, you know, he's going to be gone from this roster sooner than later. Like, I, he could be a great foil um, on the main roster, but I don't see his gimmick working up there. Oh, I, I don't see them the using it properly. With all the supernatural bullshit going on right now, you don't think they'll eat that shit up? I mean, the entrance alone would get fucking Vince hard, so come on. <laughs> they'll eat it up, but what are they, are they going to do anything with it? I mean, we, we've seen them have how many supernatural characters, and they do shit with it? I think, well, Bray got the title, right? Alexa's getting fucking main events on Raw, so they love it. I mean, they just don't have I mean, Vince loves his supernatural hocus pocus. Uh, you can't, you can't argue that. I mean, look at how many mm. years we got. Look how many times he brought Undertaker back from the dead. Right? He wouldn't let that poor guy retire. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> he definitely loves the smoke and mirrors, man. So uh, this is definitely in Vince's wheelhouse. So and this is kind of like borderline too. So I yes. could see Vince like diving into this and really getting to it and someone new and fresh. Now, we've said that before about NXT talent and they end up chasing after the 24-7 title, you know, in a month after debut on the main <laughs> roster. So we could be wrong. I don't know. But I feel like he's going to at least be in a main event feud by the end of the year on the main roster. And then in catering. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm going to say they push him. I'm going to say, like, because this, how, how, like, strong he went over here, I felt like this was an edict coming from above Triple H. I just don't see Triple H, like, pushing a guy this hard to the rest of his roster's detriment. Yeah, I, I mean, I was explaining to my girlfriend while this match was going on. I mean, like, there's so much talent in the ring, and then Kyrian Cross just kills mm-hmm. them each time, and it's just like I. And and my uh, problem is like his skill set is pretty limited, so mm-hmm. it's frustrating, you know, because he's just not my style of wrestler. So not that he's not you know decent in the ring, but like compared to the rest of these guys. I mean, I would much rather see, you know, a four-way match between Cole, Riley, and Gargano and Dunn. You know, I, Cross mm-hmm. just kind of was, like, in the way. So, 
I don't know. Uh, do you imagine that's going to be Kyrian Cross versus Lesnar one day? And we just get an F5 like fest for. <laughs> I think I have an idea where they're going, at least in his like NXT future. But we'll talk about that in a little bit after we grade the pay-per-view. So. Well, I mean, speaking of grading the pay-per-view, what star rating would you give this? I'm going to give this three stars. Like I said, I felt like it was a little below average uh, for an NXT takeover. Uh, still a solid card and everything like that. I just, I don't know. I expect more from a takeover. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you on the three stars. Uh, I mean, it's, it wasn't like it was a bad pay-per-view. It just wasn't just wasn't something I'm going to remember. It wasn't anything exciting, anything interesting for me to really like grasp onto. I mean, there's some cool new characters I, I have to look out for now, but <laughs> beyond that, um, yeah. You're going to have a Mi Ying shirt by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we forgot to mention, we end the pay-per-view with Regal doing a little interview saying that change is coming to NXT. Um, he's been getting frustrated over the last couple months because he just can't seem to get control of the roster. There's been a lot of like big brawls happening. It just feels like Regal's kind of at wit's end, storyline-wise. So, um, so I end up actually tuning in this week for NXT, which is the, probably the first time in a long time I actually watched it live. And... Part of it's definitely because I heard all the rumors, you know, uh, this past mm. week that Samoa Joe would be returning to the roster. Uh, and I'm happy to say that he did make his re-debut to the NXT brand. Um, I know a lot of people are down on this. A lot of people are hoping that he would end up in AEW or New Japan even, or Ring of Honor for that matter. But I gotta say, NXT probably needs him the most. So, mm -hmm. and as long as he eventually does wrestle, and it feels like it's going to go that way, just from the way they framed this storyline, I'm okay with it. Because right now, I think part of the problem and why NXT feels so cold and almost stale, and I hate to use that phrase, um, is because they have so many almost like lifers at this point. And NXT's never been that brand. They've always had like high turnover but now mm -hmm. we are seeing kind of like the same matches and the same feuds like play out month after month with like you know adam cole and gargano and champa and dunn i mean there's only so many different ways you can mix that like you know equation up until like i don't know you're just kind of running out of matches and I, don't get me wrong i don't want to see any of those guys called up but I do feel like they need to be injected with some more, like, I don't know, just energy, you know, and just, you know, have some, like, new blood in there to kind of, you know, stir things up. And I think Joe does that. And I love the way they brought him in. They had Regal come to the ring at the beginning of the show, make the announcement um, that, you know, it's, well, he starts to make an announcement. It was really heartfelt and just a great performance by Regal. Um, and you forget how fantastic he is on the mic. But uh, mm -hmm. he seems to be making his announcement that he's about to step down and then Karrion Cross comes out and interrupts him. And then all of a sudden we hear Joe's music and, you know, he gets a huge fucking pop. Um, Regal basically offers him his job. Joe refuses it. But then he does say that he'll kind of stay on. And I'm paraphrasing as like Regal's enforcer to make sure that, you know, the machine is running the right way. Regal tells Joe that if he does take that job, 
he's not allowed to wrestle or put his hands on any talent unless he's provoked. And I think that line right there was a huge like beacon of hope for me because the fact that they left it open and we actually saw it play out on this show where he did get physical with Adam Cole and I'm like choking him out because usually Mm -hmm. if someone's not medically cleared and this is just speculation on my point, but usually if someone's not medically cleared, they don't allow them to be touched by anyone. So the fact that like Joe was able to get physical right off the bat makes me think at least he's either like medically cleared or he's close to be medically cleared because they teased a lot of different like feuds with Joe here. Like he got into a lot of people's faces throughout the night. Um, The show itself was just really like energetic and it just felt like it had like a new life to it almost. Um, And they did a great job storytelling. Like, and that's one one thing I will say about NXT, a lot of times it feels like there's a lack of story there sometimes. Sometimes we get a lot of matches just for matches sake. Um, but like throughout the night, we had a lot of good stories happening. And, you know, a lot of it revolved around Joe and like, you know, and potential like, you know, future feuds. So I'm hoping that this is maybe like a month or two, like in this role to eventually either, you know, enough's enough and he gets cleared to wrestle and, you know, and we get to see Joe in the mix again, um, especially like a match between him and Karrion Cross. I think that'd be great. I mean, I am one of those people that are disappointed that he isn't going to be, you know, in any other company. You know, I like I would have paid good money just to even see him fight Yano, you know, like over his DVDs or some shit like that. That would have been fun for I me. I don't want to see but... anyone wrestle Yano. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yano's especially a good time. Especially after. Come on, man. <laughs> you're you're uh, crazy. Uh, Yano? <laughs> Yano. So you'd rather have Joe versus Yano than Joe versus like I don't know Kyle O'Reilly. Sure. You're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> Either way, I do know that this is a great decision for him. You know, he gets to stay in one place. It's probably an easier job. You know, they'll be able to use him in high-profile matches going in the future. So, yeah, it's it, it's going to be cool for Joe. Um, I, I didn't see this week's episode of NXT, but I mean, I am excited to see what he brings to the show. And um, it might, you know, make me want to tune in. Maybe. Well, that's and I think that's my point is like I want mm-hmm. all the brands to be good. So, like, yes. you know, I mean, if we had one, AEW has too many fucking wrestlers on the roster as is where I'm scared that Joe would actually get like lost in the shuffle. He might get like, you know, featured for a month or two. But then, you know, is he going to be on Rampage? Is he going to be on, you know, I just feel like there's so many wrestlers, um, especially like of Joe's caliber over there, where I don't know. I, I just I don't know if he'll have the same opportunities where here I feel like he'll be featured and everything like that. And they're mm-hmm. just in desperate need of new blood right now. No longer do you have that like fun like specter like hanging over like NXT where like, oh, my God, what's going to happen when these guys get like called up to the main roster at this point? You're just like horrified that that could possibly happen to some of these guys. So because mm-hmm. we've seen time after time again that, you know, WWE and you know Vince McMahon in particular, like just drops the ball on all of these guys. So, I mean, now it's just kind of like its own brand. Um, and if you're going to have that where you're not going to have the high turnover, because it does, like I said, it feels like you're operating with this like central core of wrestlers 
you need that freshening up ever once in a while with like a character like Finn Balor coming over or Samoa Joe. Because I feel like Joe, he might just stay here on NXT, which is fine. Oh, yeah. So I, and I'm good with that. So that's originally mm. what he was brought in to do. He was supposed to be just an NXT wrestler. Like his contract wasn't like any other NXT contracts at that time. Um, he was there just to like be there for NXT. He wasn't training or anything like that. You know, he was just a name. So uh, he was like the kind of like the first signing of that kind. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm excited for it. And like I said, I, I want all the brands to be good. So and just it was it just brought such a spark of excitement to this week's show. And a lot of that was the writing too. I, I have to give credit, you know, because mm-hmm. they did have other things happen. They had a, a great storyline play out between uh, Grimes and LA Knight where uh, LA Knight ended up turning on DiBiase, taking him down and Grimes just looked like this fucking ultra super baby face. I know I was joking before about him like going against fucking Karrion Cross, but if you saw this version of Cameron Grimes come out, you might actually agree with me. So I mean, the, the crowd went <laughs> insane for him. I mean, he's a he's a wrestler where I'm like fearful that Vince is going to watch him once or twice, see all the ha ha, and pull him up, and then he'll mm-hmm. be feuding with our truth in a matter of weeks. So, um, which would be disappointing because he's right now, like I said, he's red hot. He might be the hottest fucking wrestler on the brand. So, but yeah, no, I'm excited for Joe being part of uh, NXT. Um, I just I hope it works out for the brand. But yeah, no, I'm excited for Joe to be part of NXT and all the just potential matchups that we haven't seen before. So I don't know. I just think it just adds such a spark to the brand. Uh, Storyline wise, if um, Regal were to ever be fired as general manager, the only reason I think he should be you know let go is for all the weird musical guests he has on his shows every fucking week. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> I don't mind Poppy so much, but yeah, like yeah, Poppy's her all right, being like completely I, like attached to EO, and that's like how they yeah. like brought EO back <laughs> was a little strange. And here's another example of what I was talking about about like this almost redundancy happening on the brand. We're getting EO versus Candice again. Jesus, like that's like the third or fourth time I feel like in the past like year and a half. And they always draw it out for like three to four months with those two. Yeah. I mean, now it's like a tag team thing happening, but I don't know, man. (laughs) They just need to get new blood in there. Mm -hmm. So, and hopefully this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe Mei Ying will be the new face of the women's division um, at 600 years old. I'm wondering who's playing her. That's what I was wondering too. I'm like, what wrestler is this? Yeah. I'll have to look that Mm -hmm. up. Um, you know, or maybe they get a really good wrestler like underneath the hood. That could be fun. That could be. I don't know who that would be. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? 
you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, we're going to be covering all the latest news and rumors in Nerdum, of course, and we'll be dissecting the latest episodes of Loki and the Bad Batch. That's right. And we're also getting into the cell with Hell in the Cell next weekend. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know who's going to be in the Hell in the Cell this year. It's who cares? Have they announced it? I think so. It's Roman. Oh, it's Roman and Ray. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe Ray will climb to the top and you know, you know, flip off the top of the cell. I'm sure it's going to be a good match. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally not trying to convince myself. It. Uh, yeah. Whatever. All right. My name's Christian. <laughs> and my name's Dan. And that was the Amazing Dirt Show. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. <laughs>